my mom gave me a really, really good piece of advice when I was about six years old. She would sit me down and say, big, loud voice, big, bright face, and lots of information. But even, you know, moving to a new city, this was a piece of advice that I constantly have going in my head. Because when you're new, you go to a dinner party, you know nobody, or you're in a conference room and you're the only female in a room. Sometimes you need to have that in your head. Big, loud voice, big, bright face, and lots of information. This is the CMO and Joe podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. I'm really excited to have my next guest on the podcast. She's an excellent product marketer at uh, Row. Uh, we'll dive into all those uh, fun details and stories. But welcome to the podcast, Olivia. Hi, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to get into it. Uh, you have a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I want to just jump right into it. So maybe you could tell our listeners uh, what you do. Yeah, of course. So I run, uh, I'm Olivia McNaughton and I'm the director of product marketing at Row, which is really fast growing fintech here in New York City. So I'll give you a bit of a background into Row. Our mission is to simplify business finances for high performing companies. And we do that by streamlining a number of different uh, finance solutions. So we offer corporate cards, cash management, accounts payable, uh, expense management, all on a single platform. Why this is interesting is previously a business would have to use, you know, maybe Chase for their banking. Amex for corporate cards, Bill.com, you know, a number of different solutions. So that means that their data spread, they have multiple fees that they're paying to all of these different providers. With Row, it's all in one. So it really helps to empower business leaders to sort of take control of their company's finances under one roof and automate a lot of the day-to-day workflows. So really giving them that efficiency and allowing them to fuel growth and focus on what really matters. So Great company, super exciting. I've been there about a year. And you know, as you mentioned, Joe, I'm a product marketer. And so in that role, my my responsibility is really to help drive the go-to-market strategy for Row. So that's you know how we position Row into the market and how we launch Row's products into the world and, and make them successful. Um, so with product marketing, you're really focused on you know the who, what, where, why, and how. Um, and it's quite quite a strategic role which is is really fun. And so we're looking at a number of things like positioning, competitors, buyer personas, um, our product, um, and really wrapping that up into into a go-to-market strategy. So it's a little overview of what I do. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about this awesome organization in Row. You're fantastic product marketer. I've seen some of uh, the marketing collateral on social media, but uh, how did you get to your current role? Were you always sort of had that marketing mindset or yeah, let's maybe walk us through how you got to, got to row? Yeah, of course. So 
Um, you know, I'll start with, I obviously have a bit of an accent. So <laughs> I uh, originally am from London and then I moved to New Zealand when I was 12. Um, and I studied in university marketing and innovation and entrepreneurship. And I always had this real keen interest uh, in tech. You know, I'd, I'd seen my dad, he had his own company. Um, my godfather worked with a lot of tech companies. So I was always just really interested in, in, in technology and obviously the marketing side. And so my first, you know, my first career, um, my first job was in the fintech space, actually, working for a startup that was spun out of New Zealand's leading bank called ASB, sort of similar to a Bank of America or, or a Chase. And I was the fourth member on this team called ASB's Innovation Hub. And we were challenged with really strengthening the business banking position of ASB. They had a really good consumer banking position, but they wanted to really improve their, their, their perspective as business banking. And so we were set out to really understand New Zealand businesses. It was very interesting. One thing that we learned was a lot of business owners become business owners because you know they're a really good baker or they're a really good plumber, but they didn't necessarily go to university to study finance or to study uh, business. They don't have their MBA. And so PLUS was conceptualized as a bank agnostic business intelligence tool that consolidated data across a number of different solutions that uh, a business owner would use, like Google Analytics and Xero, Shopify, number of different tools, and help to present data to business founders in a way that was really easy for them to understand how their business was performing. You know, how was cash flow? What was their revenue looking like? And so this app was launched as a separate fintech startup outside of the bank, which was really fun. So we had a different office. We had, you know, outsourced developers and we even dressed differently. You know, everyone in the bank was wearing shirts and blazers and we were the cool fintech kids. So we were in t-shirts and jeans and we were on this mission to launch this app into the, into the market. So I was responsible for leading the beta, working with the beta customers. And once we sort of had validated, uh, you know, validated the app and validated its value, I was tasked with launching it into the market. Um, you know, first job out of university, I was like, whoa, okay, where do I even begin with this? Um, and really had to sort of craft a go-to-market strategy. You know, everything from the sales collateral and emails, um, even to billboards. We were lucky we had ASB's uh, marketing budget. So we were able to create billboards um, all in order to, to launch this app, which we did, and then scale it up. Um, I was traveling all around New Zealand for this. And it, it was a really fantastic job. And we even won a uh, CanStar Innovation Excellence Award. So after all of this, I was there for about a couple of years. I sort of reflected back and I was like, what am I, what, what was I really doing here? And what I really was doing was product marketing. Um, so I decided to pack up my life in New Zealand and move to New York and pursue product marketing in, in New York. I came over with a couple of suitcases, no job, no apartment, like pretty bold. I don't know if I could do it today. Um, <laughs> actually, no, I definitely could do it today. Super confident at that age. Um, and I, I came to New York and on my second day, it was pretty serendipitous, but someone who I had worked with in an internship um, back in Palo Alto 
years prior said, you need to look into this company called Yopo. I'd never heard of them before. He said, you know, they're, they're right up your alley. They're using Shopify and some tech that you're familiar with. And so I went onto their website and they had product marketing manager role. I was like, wow, this is meant to be. And so I crafted this cover letter, um, the best cover letter I think I've ever, you know, crafted in my life. I was so passionate and I applied for the job and they reached out to me and I started interviewing and within, I think within a month, uh, they offered me the job. Um, one learning here is uh, the cover letter is really what sealed the deal. So um, if, if you, you know, sort of question the value of it, um, I'm, I'm a firm believer here. So I started at, at Yopo and when I, when I back, it began there, it was about 100 people and they were doing reviews and ratings for e-commerce businesses. Over my time there, it grew to about 700, 800 people. We had went from like two offices to five. Um, and so the product marketing that I was doing was really exciting because it went through a number of different changes. We did two acquisitions during our time there. So we went from a reviews and ratings provider to an e-commerce marketing platform. Um, so we really had to sort of you know, evolve our positioning and messaging. We did a number of integrations. We added pricing tiers. So the hyper growth mode of Yopo really exposed me to so much more than you know you typically see in the span of three years. Um, and I think that's what really set me up for, for success in, in my role, which is where I'm now at, at Rome. Um, so to the today, about a year ago, I received a LinkedIn message from Alex Weldon, who is the co-founder of Roe. And I'd never heard of Roe before, but his note was really personal. It was really, you know, really lovely. And it caught my attention for whatever reason on that day. Um, I decided to take a call with him and he told me about the mission, which was to take the friction out of business finances. And it really resonated with me uh, for two reasons. They were streamlining corporate cards, banking AP onto this one single platform. And so it was similar to Plus, my very first role in the sense that it was streamlining business data. And then it was similar to Yopo in that it was creating this sort of single all-in-one platform, not for e-commerce businesses, but for all businesses at this point and the finance department. And so I was, I was really interested and... I did a lot of due diligence, you know, I'm a product marketer. I, uh, I researched competitors. I um, spoke with investors of the company and I, I looked at the market. And by the time I'd finished my due diligence, I knew I had to make the jump. Um, it, was, it was a little scary. It was a series A just at that point and about 25 people. Um, but I, I was really ready for, for a big shift. And that's how I landed at, at Rogue. Wow, that's uh, quite a journey you have there, Olivia. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's quite interesting how you say you went from the bank with the probably Thai, or maybe not for you of Thai, but student Thai sort of culture there to the shirt and jeans and startup uh, <laughs> culture. <laughs> but uh, um, <laughs> uh, so you talk about product marketing and I have a bunch of marketers on the podcast. It's a marketing podcast. So a bunch of digital marketers, traditional marketers, uh, but not many product marketers. Maybe you could dive into um, some misconceptions about product around product marketing. 
Yeah, um, I think <laughs> there are a lot of misconceptions around product marketing um, and it spans a couple of, of things. You know, some people think of us as sales enablement and like one pager creators. You know, there's a new product release coming out. Where's the one pager? Um, so that's one big piece of one big misconception. The other is that we are there to just solely help marketing um, and do, you know, external marketing for product releases. Um, another misconception is that we are researchers and that we're constantly just doing research into the market and competitors. Um, but all of these sort of span from, I think, the fact that product marketing is actually quite a broad role and it's quite a strategic role and it spans actually all of those things that I just spoke about. However, the misconception is that we're just one or two or three of those. So, you know, the way in which I really like to think about product marketing is we gather information and we share information. So it's in twofold. Firstly, product marketing helps to gather information from the market. So, you know, speaking with sales and what are they hearing on the front line from prospects? Researching competitors, what are they doing? How are they marketing and positioning? What are their products they're releasing? Uh, speaking with customers as well, you know, what do they value in our product? Is there anything that's missing? Um, so really doing this sort of holistic uh, research, gathering all of this information, but then using this to actually help influence the product roadmap and help the product team, you know, understand that the direction that they're going in and validate decisions. So that's information into product. It's then information out into the market. So product marketing helps to translate the features and functionality that product are then creating into the value that they actually deliver for customers. So helping people to really understand how this helps to solve a specific business problem. So using that information, marketing can market better and sales can sell better. Um, so we really are sort of gathering information and sharing information to help the business make strategic and informed decisions. Yeah, thanks for sharing that insight. Uh, you mentioned your career journey, how you got to where you are today. Um, but I'm even more interested how like, what made you pursue, want to pursue marketing or product marketing uh, in general or specifically? Yeah, I think it comes from loving seeing growth um, and the evolution of something. You know, from, from a really young age, I loved watching TV shows like Extreme Makeover. I don't know if you ever watched it, but they sort <laughs> yeah. of knock down a house and build a, build a house up or, you know, the Great British Bake Off where they're baking cakes from scratch. So I just loved seeing things being built from scratch and really growing and then seeing the value and satisfaction that comes from that. And so I knew that whatever I did, I wanted to help to facilitate growth. Um, that's what really excited me. So firstly, I think startups are really key. Um, I knew that startups were going to be pivotal. But the second piece was, was the marketing. And I could see the impact that really valuable marketing could add to a company. Um, product marketing specifically is about that go-to-market strategy. So taking the value and really sharing it. Um, and so it's a very collaborative and cross-functional role. And it allows you to work with pretty much every department within an organization. You know, I'm working on a daily basis with everyone from sales to product to partners. And so not only do you become, you know, really 
you know, you not only can you build these great relationships across the organization, but you can really become embedded within an organization and really understand the functionings and the intricacies of a business and how a business is run. So I loved that about product marketing in particular. Um, and then, you know, when we're talking about like seeing things come to fruition, one thing that we just did at Roe was we rebranded Roe. Um, and this is a really good example of, you know, seeing and having an idea and going through the ideation phase all the way through to sort of the planning and the implementation all the way through to launch, like seeing things like that come to life is so rewarding. Um, so I think that's sort of the, the main reason why my marketing is right for me. <laughs> I love that. Is there anything that you read or consume to get all this marketing, product marketing knowledge or something that you could share with the listeners? A good resource? Yeah. Okay. I have two really good resources. One product marketing specific is called the Product Marketing Alliance. It is the most incredible network of product marketers, um, thousands of product marketers. All We have a Slack channel. There's a website with incredible readings and learnings. And they also throw events. So there's one, I think in March, uh, in New York. So if anyone is listening, they're, they're having it in Brooklyn. So that's the first for product marketing. The second, it's not marketing specific, but there's a podcast that I listen to religiously. Um, it's called Happier by Gretchen Rubin. Um, I'm not sure. Have you heard of it before? Have you listened to it? Uh, sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, highly recommend. It's a great podcast. And um, it really it really helps it in many aspects of life. But there was one pod, one, one episode that she did that was really talking about decision-making both in a personal um, uh, sense, but also in a professional sense. And I found this really helpful to understand uh, myself and understand how people make decisions. So a little bit of a summary. So psychologists found that people's approaches to decision-making fits into you know, two categories. The first is called satisficing, which is essentially a combination of the word satisfy and sufficing. Um, and it basically means settling for a good decision. It's like good enough. Um, you might not have all of the information. Um, it might not be considered the perfect decision, um, but it is a good decision. Maximizers, on the other hand, are decision makers that want to make the perfect decision. So they really want to collect all the information and data possible and make a decision that provides the optimal outcome. And so what was really interesting about this is you think, you know, maximizers, they're trying to make the best decision. And so you might think that it equates to superior and more satisfying decisions. But in fact, this isn't actually the case. The studies show that maximizers are often sort of less effective because they suffer under this pressure of like high self expectations and you know the pressure of making the perfect decision. So it can lead to basically decision paralysis, um, where you sort of stagnate the decision making process. Why this is really important to understand, and I know myself that I can be a maximizer and I can get stuck on decisions because I'm wanting to make the perfect decision. But understanding this really helps me uh, as a product marketer know when decisions do require sort of a critical, you know, decision-making process and all the information. And some decisions just can be made and they're good enough and do it and move on to the next decision. So for example, like in the product marketing context, 
if you're looking to, let's say, invest in a new product, um, you probably want a lot of information there. You want to understand the market and do the research and really make an informed decision. However, you know, let's say you're putting together a piece of sales collateral and you're trying to decide on the color of the background. That's probably not a decision where you need to, you know, go into the psychology of color in real big detail. You know, there are some decisions that you should just make. Um, I know when I was setting up my apartment in New York, I needed to, to get a new desk. And I was trying to find the perfect desk. The result was me working on my couch for about three months whilst I tried to find the perfect desk. Like I should have just picked a desk and it would have been good and I could have moved on. Um, so I think that's a really good learning that I, I definitely found. And um, the podcast in general is fantastic. Many, many other examples of great, great insights. Mm, that's wonderful. Yeah, I always say if you're faced with a decision, just make a decision. <laughs> Don't make it with three months. <laughs> Pick <know>. a desk. <laughs> I did. I did. I'm yeah, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. Um, but yeah, what's you talk about working up with a bunch of different aspects uh, within the business, whether it be sales or um, other other aspects. But what's maybe one question that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked? <laughs> yeah, this is this is a hard one. So um, I think one question that I mean, I think Oprah asks this all the time, but it's what the what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, and I love this question because my mom gave me a really really good piece of advice when I was about six years old. Um, for context, my mom was an actress back in the day, and that's why this this piece of advice is really relevant. Um, she said when I was going into, for example, in the UK, you have to do interviews to get into schools at the age of like six years old. It's very competitive. So she would sit me down and say, big, loud voice, big, bright face, and lots of information. And at this age, I was like, I didn't really know what this meant. I was like, okay, mom, big, loud voice. Hi, I'm Olivia. You know, like tell them about myself in the interviews. But as I got older, I realized just how you know, valuable this information was and this advice was. And she would say it before my first day of school, before a big job interview. But even you know, moving to a new city, this was a piece of advice that I constantly have going in my head. Because when you're new, you go to a dinner party, you know nobody, or you're in a conference room and you're the only female in a room. Sometimes you need to have that in your head, big, loud voice, big, bright face, and lots of information. And how it's relevant for product marketing in particular is as a product marketer, we're often sort of a hype woman or hype man. Um, we have to really be excited about the products that we're selling and the products that we're talking about. Um, because, you know, if we're not excited by it, I don't know how I expect sales to be excited by it or, you know, the customer success team to be. And so oftentimes we have to be, you know, real hype women. Um, and so when I'm doing product trainings or when I'm trying to get information across, that is something I try and instill into, into any presentation I give or into any training. So that's one piece of advice. Thanks, mom. <laughs> she would laugh <laughs> if she knew that I still said this in my head. She probably has no idea, but it really made an impact. 
<laughs> I love that. Maybe she'll listen to the podcast, this interview, and uh, she'll find out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. She's going to have this on repeat. <laughs> uh, speaking of excitement, though, uh, you said you're the hype woman for, for the product team. Um, what's maybe something that's exciting you about, about any marketing trend right now? Is there anything at the moment that's really uh, exciting you? I think so. I think it's not necessarily a new thing. But I think it sort of is going to have a, a new moment, and that is events. Um, and this is in-person events. You know, over the past two years of COVID, we had a lot of virtual events. There was barely any in-person events, obviously for good reason. But it sort of led to a bit of a virtual event fatigue. I don't know if you, you know, went on many Zoom webinars or you know virtual cocktail hours, um, and it was like that for a really long time. And so I think right now there is a real opportunity for businesses to capitalize on people's craving for like connection, in-person connection. Um, I think businesses that can cultivate a really interesting group of people that add value to one another um, and can put on an event that helps to build relationships with customers, you know, outside of the screen. I think that's a place that can, can really be an opportunity for a lot of businesses right now. I think prior to COVID, you know, you could go to an event any night of the week, really. There was always something on. There was some happy hour, some conference. Um, but now, I don't know about you, but I get excited every time I'm invited to an event. I'm like, oh, got an invite. Where are we going? So I think right now, if if a business can, can really put on a memorable event and connect with customers... Um, I think customers have more patience to, to attend and really get value out of it. I know Roe did one at the sort of towards middle to end of last year, really small, intimate group. Um, and our customers met one another, our customers met potential prospects. And it was just a fantastic time to meet people and to connect people and add value in ways outside of just our product. Um, so yeah, events, I think that could be a really interesting thing for companies right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you hit the nail on its head. There's with the whole zoom and virtual zoom and all these virtual hours, it's definitely some zoom fatigue setting in. So I could definitely see events coming back to the forefront, uh, coming up here. Um, but in terms of, uh, what your favorite parts of a successful brand or product, um, I work with a lot of companies and authenticity gets thrown around a lot. But for you personally, what's maybe a component of a successful brand or product that you could share with the listeners? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm always looking at things from a product marketing perspective. So when I think of, of components of a successful brand and product, um, sort of twofold. One is around how they present themselves into the world and how they sort of position themselves. So I think firstly, it comes down to really clear and unconvoluted messaging. Do people understand what you do? Um, when they go onto your website, you know, do they get it within a number of seconds? Um, having, you know, additive visuals, having GIFs or videos that help to explain, I think is really important. And also having qualifiers, you know, knowing that a brand isn't for you is just as important as knowing a brand is for you. And it helps to weed out people that might not be right for you and save them time as well. So positioning and messaging obviously is critical for, for a successful brand. 
But then on the product side, it needs to match what you're saying, right? So firstly, I think successful products are really intuitive for the user to be able to use and pick up. And if they're not super easy and intuitive, first off, at least there is really clear sort of onboarding guides and really clear way to help set a business up for success to use your product. Um, And then the second piece that it needs to add value, it needs to do what you'll say it's going to do and actually fulfill the promises. Um, I think people throw around a lot of statements, but if you're not going to fulfill those statements with your product, then there's going to be disappointment at the end of the day. Um, so I think that's that's really important. Um, and you know, I think you can see that come to life when you have really good customer uh, case studies. Um, that's something we really value at Row is like shining our, our customers' stories. Because as much as I can say our product is fantastic and it does all these things, like unless your customers can say it and your customers can show the value that they derived, um, you know, it's all just it's all just smoke and mirrors. So I think having really strong case studies is is valuable. Um, I don't know if you know of a company called Figma, um, but they are a really good sort of example of a company that does both sides of this. They have a great website that's super clear and their product, uh, you know, comes through with their promises. Um, For those who don't know on the podcast, Figma does um, sort of a design tool. It's almost like a collaborative Photoshop, which allows multiple people to collaborate on designs um, at at one time. So it makes it more efficient and more collaborative as a process. Um, And it's super easy to use. I'm not a designer, but I know how to to jump in there and use it. Um, So I think that's a great example of a really successful brand or product. Hmm. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned was case studies, and I, I really love case studies as a more bottom of the funnel tactic, but content overall is king. I mean, we all know that, all, all, all marketers know that, but for you personally, is there any platform, is there like, you have a favorite platform to market on and maybe why if you share that with the listeners? Yeah, well... M- my career has been in B2B marketing, so probably no surprise, but my favorite platform is LinkedIn. Um, I love it for a couple of reasons um, because firstly, you can get really targeted on who you're actually going after. You know, like I said, not every product is going to be for everybody. On LinkedIn, you can sort of target down to the the role that the person is in. So for us, it might be a VP of finance or a CFO the seniority level, even the industry, um, and the size of business. So for us, we could target CFOs um, in the e-commerce industry with businesses from 50 to 100 people, just as an example. So you can get really granular and target the right people and present messaging or case studies, for example, to people that will resonate with it. So that's the first thing. I actually really love also the organic posting side of LinkedIn, um, outside of sort of the paid ads, I think the, the organic side really helps you to share your brand's personality, to present your team to the world, events that you're attending, and also partners that you work with. Um, I think it's a really nice way to, to put your brand out there in a way that's a little bit more sort of natural. Um, and I, you know, when we post the, Posts that always do the best are when we're showing our team, uh, which is really nice and showing people. And then I think the third and, and the final thing is it's really good for hiring. Um, you know, as a startup, you're always trying to build your team. And so LinkedIn, that's where the professionals are. And that's where you can really find people. So 
Rose hiring actually, if anyone is looking, <laughs> plug that in there. Product yeah. marketing manager, they're looking. <laughs> uh, definitely will. Yeah. So you guys are always hiring. So it seems like yeah. it's a very fast growing team. So anybody yeah. listening, make sure you hire <laughs> or make sure you apply. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. You talked about organic LinkedIn uh, ads. What's maybe a marketing metric that you really focus on as a KPI when you're running these sort of campaigns? Yeah, so one metric that I really look at, and it's not marketing specific, but it is adoption. So as a product marketer, tracking adoption of a product or a feature um, within your product is, is really exciting. So understanding you know, how certain activities that you've done within a campaign actually affects the adoption of your product is, is something that I love to track. So for example, you know, let's say we do post something on LinkedIn, um, you know, whether it is a new case study or a product release, seeing how that uh, filters down into affecting the adoption of, of a product. Same with things like in-app messaging. If we want to do a pop-up about a new feature or we want to put it in a newsletter or we run a webinar, being able to track how each of these different sort of initiatives and different channels work to increase adoption is, is something that I love to, to look at. So it's a little nerdy, but it's, it's a fun <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I think marketing is very much a mix of art and science. It's You got that nerdy data side of things and also that more art uh, creative side. So definitely I'm in the same boat as you. I just love nerding out on data and trying to figure out what's working, what's not working. hundred <laughs> percent. What's uh, for the listeners, um, what's maybe one key piece of advice uh, that you give someone wanting to build their brand or product online? Oh, I think, you know, the biggest piece of advice and, you know, I say this coming from, from a, a, a lean team to begin with is all really successful businesses share um, a really brilliant team behind it. I think, you know, you can have a great idea for a product or for, for a brand, but you can only get so far with, you know, limited resources. You really need the people behind that idea to bring it to life and to sustain it. It's pretty amazing when you, you know, working in a company to see how the value each person brings um, can contribute to, to, to a product or the growth of a company. So I think getting really good people in the door um, is always going to be critical. I have a great team here at Row. Um, like I just hired uh, Shannon. Uh, she's a product marketer and um, the impact she's been able to bring has been immense. And it really just shows what a, what a, what a good team can do. I love that. Speaking of team, uh, what's maybe one thing that Road does that people don't know about? Yeah, so Row gives businesses key three things. So we give them the software, which I've spoken about. So um, that's the all of the tools in one place to eliminate sub system overload and consolidate things into one place. We give them credit. Uh, so we have our corporate cards, which gives sort of growth businesses the higher credit lim limit um, that can really help to propel their business. And we have a really unique underwriting model that, that allows uh, us to do that. But I think the one thing that a lot of people don't know is that we don't not only offer the software or the credit, but we really offer businesses the support that they need to be able to move faster and really fuel that business growth. Um, 
you know, when it comes to business finances, like we firmly believe that a chatbot isn't enough. We have a chatbot. It's great for those quick questions, but we really value that personalized human first support. Um, so every bro customer gets a dedicated account manager um, to really help them, you know, make business decisions and and be successful uh, with our product, but also in their business, so that they can keep moving fast. Um, and I think actually the one other thing that we that we do is we don't have any fees. So Row has zero fees. Um, we have a bit of a disruptive pricing model, which goes against the grain of of many traditional sort of business banking and and fintech platforms. Is we don't charge fees for our products, our platform, our cook cards, sending payments, um, nothing. It's something we really, really uh, value um, because we know that we can we can really add value in other ways um, and help businesses save money as well as saving time. Wow. Yeah, well, to all our listeners, I mean, no fees is always great. So I implore you guys to go check, check Row out. <laughs> uh, I only have a couple more questions here for you, Olivia. Um, What's maybe something that you're proud of that we haven't touched on in the interview so far? Yeah, so I think one thing I'm I'm really really proud of is I've been at Yoro for for a year now, and I'm so proud of the growth that we've had in the past year. Um, when I started, it was around thirty or so people, and they'd like I mentioned, they just raised their Series A. Um, it's been a year now and we're over 110 employees. Um, we raised a 75 million series B, um, led by Dragoneer. Um, and we have an incredible list of investors and our product has really grown over this time. So I think for me, I'm just so proud to see what the team has been able to achieve in such a short period of time. I think, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I was nervous. I was taking a risk to go to a company that was definitely a lot smaller. Um, but it's, it's been absolutely incredible to see the growth. And I know that this is only the start and there's so much more to come, especially with the 75 mil series B, like we have, products in, in the store for you guys. There's so much coming down the line. Um, so I, I'm just really proud of that. It's it's incredible team, amazing founders, Alex and Everett are uh, just fantastic people. Um, so yeah, I'm really proud to be a rower. <laughs> rower, I like that. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really exciting. I, I'm looking forward to all the great products or uh, where you guys go. Um, it's it's a really exciting time in fintech and just tech in general. So um, yeah, more more exciting things to come, I bet. Okay. Uh, where can our listeners connect with you online if they want to follow up or connect or touch base? Yeah, LinkedIn, my favorite channel. Um, I am Olivia McNaughton um, on LinkedIn, obviously from from Row. I, I think I I think there aren't too many other Olivia McNaughtons, so hopefully you find me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll also link it in the description of the podcast, so you guys go reach out to Olivia if you have any more questions. Um, I really appreciate being on the podcast, Olivia. Uh, since this is a marketing and uh, branding podcast, I'd like to end the interview off with one question. Uh, so if you had one word or phrase to describe Olivia McNaughton's uh, brand, what would it be? <laughs> it would be intercontinental and not the hotel chain. <laughs> Just in case. All pre-conversions away. Intercontinental. That would be my brand. <laughs> I love that. Hi, I'm Olivia McNaughton, and you're listening to Joe Momoa Presents. 
This episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.